Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to preview MSU's upcoming game against the Penn State Nittany Lions. Michigan State is restarting the Big Ten season, hopefully now with a fixed team to reset the disastrous 0-2 start to the Big Ten season in December. Big thanks to all of you who listen and shared the show. Happy New Year, by the way. Uh, We had our biggest year ever with nearly 100,000 more downloads than we did the year before and over 50% growth. We're so happy that you've come along with us and are enjoying the content. Hopefully, 2024 is an even better year, especially for this team I'd end up. I think it's fair to say there's no reason to think this team can't achieve the goals we thought possible before the season began. Uh, So continue sharing the show with your friends. Subscribe if you're a new listener. Our commitment to you is to continue bringing you the highest quality pre- and post-game analysis, so stuff that you don't get anywhere else, since that's what we take pride in the show. Also, if you want to support the show, you're more than welcome to at thefinalfoursonthescheduled.com slash support. All right, Rod, Nitty Lions, Penn State, either coming to the Breslin Center uh, as we restart Big Ten play. Uh, they're 1-1 one one overall uh, in the conference. They're 7-6 overall. They lost in overtime to Maryland and then surprisingly beat Ohio State by three. New head coach Mike Rhodes uh, promised to play fast, and uh, they're doing that right now. They've been made good on that promise, but sort of mixed results in the win-loss column. They're 1-4 versus Power 6. Uh, the only common opponent they have with Michigan State is Butler, who beat the Nittley Lions by 10 on neutral floor. And of course, as listeners recall, Michigan State beat Butler and the Breslin by, what, 20, I think. Mm-hmm. Penn State overall in the Ken Palm is number 104. They have a 102 rating on offense and a 119 on defense. So, I mean, compared to Minnesota last year, they're way better than Minnesota, <laughs> as bad as Minnesota was last year, but not as the strongest of teams. Uh, they do play fast. Their overall tempo is 66. Average length of possession on offense is 55th. Uh, they don't shoot the ball real well. They're 32% from three, and uh, they're ranked 112th on twos. They don't offensive rebound much at, 100, at 206. They're sort of middle of the pack from the free throw line at 127th in a free throw attempts to field goal attempts. Uh, but they do shoot pretty well. They're 73% from the line. Uh, they do really well offensively in not turning the ball over, despite playing really fast. They're 72nd in turnover percentage. And on defense, they force a lot of turnovers. They're number ninth in the country. Uh, which uh, puts them a turnover percentage of 23rd and uh, the steal percentage. So they are actually forcing mistakes as opposed right. to just having, I think it was the last game, I think that it was um, a lot of turnovers against Indiana State, but we didn't get the impression they actually forced many. Exactly. Um, yep. Yeah, they're they're 167th uh, ranking in two-point uh, defense and really bad defensive rebounding at 334th, which is just about the worst you can be. Uh, they also don't have very good rim protection with a 259th spot in block percentage, and they tend to foul a lot. 
I mean, all these things in profile, they play fast. Surprisingly, they don't turn the ball over, but they seem to get into you, try and force steals, turnovers, which means that the three-point defense might be decent, but they make them susceptible to layups and things like that, which would explain their bad twos. And they foul a lot, which also, if you're extending your defense and sort of taking chances, I would imagine you'd foul a little bit more than the average team as well. Yeah. Um, Mike Rhodes, who is in his first year there, they brought him in from VCU just to reset for listeners who haven't seen Penn State play yet. You recall Micah Shrewsbury did such a great job in his two years, particularly last year at Penn State, um, left to take the job at Notre Dame. Penn State replaced him with Mike Rhodes, who had been the head coach at VCU, and had some decent success there. He's Pennsylvania native, so he made some sense. He came in after taking the job, talking a lot about playing fast, pressuring, all these things that I've heard many coaches over the years say <laughs> coming into yeah. the Big Ten, and they'll try it for a while, and then they get it beaten out of them that it's a mistake. <laughs> and I suspect that's what will happen here as well. But in year one, he is applying a lot of full and half court pressure and it is generating mixed results. It's it's not quite as drastic as what Brad Underwood was doing his first year at Illinois, if you remember that, where basically every possession was one of three outcomes. It was a turnover, <laughs> a dunk, or a layup. Uh, there was nothing in between <laughs> because they were yeah. so extreme in how they tried to pressure. It's not quite to that level, but they are definitely intent on pressing and trying to turn the game, and I'll come back to this word later, they, they want to make the game chaotic. That's what they yeah. want to do. And so they're doing that. Um, you know, the two Big Ten games – they would have reason to be encouraged by because, yeah, they lost to Maryland, um, but that was on the road and it was in overtime. And then yeah. they beat Ohio State, so they were very competitive in those two games. Many of their other losses don't look as good. So mm -hmm. um, I think on balance, my position on them is not very different than it was in the preseason, which is this is going to be a tough year. And particularly if Rhodes is intent on playing the way he was talking about, and he has proven to date that he is, uh, I think they're really going to find it tough. And, and I think as big time play unfolds, we're going to see that. Um, you start with this game. Is pressing Michigan State really the smartest way to play against them? I, I don't think so. <laughs> I wouldn't guess so, yeah. I don't think so, but I expect Penn State to do it. And so yeah. really... The, the game is, is, as much as anything else, is probably going to be won or lost on the basis of how well Michigan State deals with that pressure. And when you can reduce it to that simple of an equation and you've got an experienced team, particularly with experienced guards, who don't turn the ball over as much as many previous MSU teams do anyway, um, I don't think that's a good matchup. But we we will see. Um, it's it's just a you know it's a it's a restart of the program because they not only did the coach change but the almost the entire roster is flipped. They've got two guys in their rotation who are holdovers. That's it. One of the two barely plays. The other is their leading scorer and has has 
had a great season thus far for them. Um, but other than that, the roster's entirely flipped over. It's a ton of transfers. He didn't have time to really bring in freshmen. So it's a ton of transfers. And, you know, you you put all that together, the style of play, the, the roster turnover, a new head coach, all of those things. And I think you're getting what was reasonable to expect out of them, which is a tough year. You know, and, and again, the one-on-one start in the league is, is not bad, but I don't think it's going to stay that pretty a picture for very long. That's my assumption. And I still think, you know, we can look at Penn State where they are. Minnesota, I think, has been better than people expected. And so those mm-hmm. are your two teams that I think most people felt coming into the season were going to battle for the basement. And I still think that's true, even though they're the two worst, or, or even though they played better, rather, than um, than some might have expected. I still think they're probably the safest bets. Now, I say that with one caveat. We got to watch <laughs> at Michigan to see if Doug McDaniel is, in fact, academically eligible or not. There were very strong rumors late last week that he's about to be declared ineligible when the second semester begins, which for them, I believe, is January 9th. That would be the date that this would happen because their second semester starts on the 10th. If that's mm-hmm. true, then Michigan will be in that category as well, in in my view, because they'll be completely without any guards of any type, never mind a point guard. Um, <laughs> but, but for now, I think it's still Penn State and Minnesota that are kind of jockeying over that spot yeah i guess i would after watching iowa play a little bit this year i would throw iowa in that that they could potentially have a really bad season but we'll see how that they could I, you know i'm giving i'm giving um i'm giving them a little bit of a bump just based on what fran mccaffrey's been able to do there but you're you're right mm-hmm. the, the picture is not very encouraging for them either they're definitely all four of those teams we've just mentioned are in the that's the rear pack in the Big Ten. Those are yeah, those no, are I, your I so. your worst your worst teams in the conference. I think pretty pretty clearly they're the worst teams in the league. Maybe throw Rutgers in there as well because Rutgers has gone back to early Pikeville, just abysmal offense, just the yeah. worst. They're still good defensively. But they are awful on offense. And so maybe throw Rutgers in that pack as well. And those five are in some order likely to be your bottom five in the conference. Yeah, and I, I'll be honest. I'm not sure what Rutgers' Big Ten record is, but I know the, uh, all those other four teams all have a win. Owen, they're Owen, <laughs> they're Owen, I think Rutgers is 0-1. There are, several, 0-1. There are okay. several teams that have only played one conference game so far, not two. Uh, but I believe they're 0-1, I think. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess I was lost both their games. They lost at home yeah. in Michigan and then at Purdue. Yeah, Michigan, well, Michigan um, got the one over Iowa, right. So Yeah, was... right, yeah, exactly. Um, and, the you know, going back to the the pressure way of playing and stuff, and I, you know, there was a post, I think, Magboard last week or so, where they're talking about zoning, and we had talked about the zone against Michigan State, where it's just really not a, it's really not a good idea. Right. And you have, right now, with Michigan State, you have four ball handlers, and Malik is not an elite ball handler, but he's pretty good. Yes. Especially if you're not, I, I if agree. you're trapping him, I think he gets into trouble. But if he's not trapped, I think, you know, he's someone I feel comfortable, you know, advancing the ball up the court. So it's, it's a tough team to, to try and really 
to really press, I think, uh, and potentially very, you know, dangerous. We saw Malik in that, um, in the game against Indiana state, he ran the break a couple times once with a great lob. And the second time with a kind of dumb pass, he just was trying to get Carr to get a spectacular dunk, I think, but, um, but he was very competent doing that. And so you wonder if that sort of, that strategy is not only bad for Michigan state, but also, you know, other teams, like you said, and just the other thing I was thinking about is that with the zone, you wonder if that just like the, just like pressing all the time, using a zone is just not some strategy that in the modern game is just a, a very wise decision just because of the skill it's, level of players. You don't see general. it. The, the last team, when I was growing up, you would see contenders play that way. Oh, yeah. You know, Arkansas, there, were, there were a lot of UNLV, them. Yeah. Um, you know, Nolan Richardson. And, and truthfully, Nolan Richardson's Arkansas team is the last national title team that I can think of that played full court pressure almost all the time and won at that level. Yeah. Um, whereas if you go before that, if you go back to the 70s and the 80s, you would see it. Um, you absolutely would see it. Um, it's changed, I think, because I, there, there are a lot of possible explanations for it. One big one, in my opinion, especially in a league like the Big Ten, is the caliber of scouting and the caliber of guard play is just too good to be able to get away with that for 40 minutes. Yeah. You know, I think you can, you can utilize pressure in selective ways and have it work for you. I think, for example, I think Chris Collins Northwestern team the last couple of years has done some of that in the half court where they've been very aggressive, um, with their guards, with their perimeter guys in applying half court ball pressure. And that's worked. I can think of, um, early Matt Painter teams. He hasn't done it so many years. I think people have forgotten, but in the early years, Painter was there. He had some teams that really relied on half court ball pressure and it was very effective for them. So there are ways you can do that, but not the full court, full tilt. We're going to trap, look to force turnovers as the main goal. That's tough to do. And, yeah. and I agree with you about Michigan State. I think it's a particularly bad matchup against a team like this. Uh, where Malik Hall helps you most of all, it's not just that he's a veteran and you know he's got a handle and he can pass, but he's 6'8". And it's important to have <laughs> right. somebody who can play an active role in your, in your pressure break who's got the ability to see over the top. When you've got a smaller yeah. group, it can sometimes be a problem, you know. And Michigan State's got decent size at the guards. Tyson's small, but you know Hogarth's six four, Aikens is six four, six three. They're decently sized, but it, it's nice to have a six eight guy. I I maintain. I go back to the first great teams that Izzo had, and one of the huge advantages that team had in dealing with pressure was Andre Hudson was so calm and so good with the ball at 6'8". It's just mm-hmm. a big advantage when you've got somebody at that size that you can actually utilize. You're not just putting them on the forecourt. They can actively play a role in breaking pressure. 
And I think Malik Hall is good enough to give them that. All right. Well, let's uh, get into the lineups here. Brought to you by, by the Brothers of Just Two Gutters, where they sponsor the segment to the player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter for Penn State. Uh, so we'll begin with the starters. Uh, Kanye Cleary, 5'11 sophomore. He's one of the players you mentioned who actually returned to Penn State. Actually, the only one of significance. He played 10 minutes last year. Now he's averaging, uh, what, I think like 30 or so. Uh, he decided to stay in Happy Valley uh, and he's scoring 18.2 points a game on 51, 37, and 81 shooting and is also second the team in steals and assists. Yeah, he's uh, just a huge leap forward, which I don't think you could necessarily have counted on coming into the season, but it's it's been a big boost for them to have Clary actually establish himself as a legitimate Big Ten guard. Um, this is a team that really struggles shooting the deep ball, so his 37% makes him one of their primary shooting options. And then obviously he's mm -hmm. able to score inside the arc as well. He's been a decent contributor as a secondary playmaker and as a defender as well. So huge positive for them to get him to stay. I mean, you could argue, I think pretty persuasively that he's the best recruiting. He represents the best recruiting job Rhodes did to convince him to stick around rather than enter the sure. portal. I mean, that's just an automatic move now for so many guys uh, when there's a coaching change. I, you know, in fact, in, in Rhodes' case, he got two of his guys to follow him from VCU when he left. Right. So it goes to show. Like, it wouldn't have been surprising to see more guys go to Notre Dame. Um, but it didn't right. happen here, yeah. and that's a big positive for them. Because that's a, the one thing that Penn State can lean on is that they've actually got a Big Ten caliber set of guards. I'm not saying they're the best guards in the conference, but they actually, they hold up. They they measure yeah. up when you compare them. Him and the next guy we're going to talk about, Ace Baldwin. Those guys measure up. That you see them play, you're like, that's a Big Ten backcourt. Sure. Now, I haven't watched any Penn State basketball this year. Um, this will be my first opportunity uh -huh. to watch them play. Is uh is a lot of are a lot of his play um bus buckets from like off steals and is that why he's averaging eighteen or is he getting a lot of the stuff in the half court? Would you've if you had a chance yeah, to see it them? it varies, but yeah, I mean Penn State Penn State absolutely is an example of a team that uh, as the cliche goes tries to turn defense into offense. No question uh -huh. about that. All right, so we'll move on to the second player, uh, Ace Baldwin. Six foot one, as you mentioned, followed Rhodes from VCU to PSU. Uh, it's been a very important addition to the line backcourt. He runs a point, leads the team in assists at about four and a half a game with a two to one assist to turnover ratio. Leads the team in steals at three a game, averaging 13.6 points a game on 36, 30, and 79 shooting. I think he was a little better shooter at VCU, if I recall. Um, so that seems like it's down a little bit. And gets the line a, a bit. He gets uh, about five free throws a game. So he is one of their most dynamic players, and you know, obviously, he's probably as important as Clary. Yeah, um, the shooting's been a disappointment, and it's not like he was a knockdown shooter. As a sophomore, he was pretty good. He was forty-one percent from three as a sophomore. Last year, he was down to thirty-four percent. But okay, uh, there's there's he's at thirty now. It's not they hoped for more. The other problem with that 
is that his attempts are way up. He averaged 3.7 three-point attempts per game last year. He's up to 5.2 this year, so he's he's shooting more and shooting them less efficiently. So that's <laughs> making the a, same amount. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a disappointment. Um, you would hope to. Yeah, it's basically not much of a difference. He he made 1.3 threes per game last year. He's at 1.5 this year, so it's not much of an uptick, despite one and a half more shots per game. Um. You know, there's certain things. He's getting more free throw attempts. He he averages almost five free throw attempts a game. So when you got a guy who's a 79% shooter and he's always been a good free throw shooter, that that's a positive. Um, you know, as a playmaker, he's been solid. I think they maybe hope for a little bit more, but some of that is also down to who he's surrounded by. Yeah, um, right. people get making shots. You're starting to get assists. But look, the, the bottom line is this is a guy who I believe he was A-10 player of the year last year at VCU. Um, and they had hoped that he would give them, uh, he's a different player stylistically than Jalen Pickett was, who was so good for Penn mm-hmm. State last year. But I think the hope was, all right, Baldwin gives us a guy, maybe not quite that level of impact, but something close and a, a guy who can lead the team, be the point guard, be a very productive player, play like a veteran, and he has provided all of those things. They and they've got look, they've got reason to hope. There are enough games left in the season. They can certainly hope that his his jump shooting improves in terms of its efficiency. I don't think it's mm-hmm. crazy to think that, well, maybe he'll find the range a little more regularly. Um, that's possible. And that would help Penn State, certainly. But these two guys together definitely give Penn State a quality Big Ten backcourt. So moving on to Zach Hicks, six foot eight, 200-pound transfer from Temple. He's started every game so far for Penn State. He's averaging 6.7 points a game on 33, 31, and 63 shooting with uh, almost three and a half rebounds a game. Yeah. Um, well, again, they needed they needed bodies, right? And so they went whole hog in the portal. They got Hicks, <laughs> who was a solid player at Temple, He's been okay. I think they'd hope for a little more consistency as a shooter, maybe hope for a little more production as a rebounder. Um, but, you know, th- this is where I think Penn State starts to slip when you get past the backcourt and you start looking at the front court guys and their bench. That's where they don't really measure up to many other Big Ten teams. Moving on to Puff Johnson. That's a great name. Six foot eight transfer from North Carolina, averaging seven points a game and three and a half rebounds a game, shooting 36, 24, and 67. Yeah. Um, he did some time at Carolina, one of two Carolina transfers on this team. Uh, and I think it's fair to say they had hoped for more. Yeah. He had he's brother of uh, Cam Johnson who's in played at Carolina as well and is in the NBA now I think I think he's still with Phoenix can't remember but he's in the NBA and he was a very very good shooter and I think the expectation has always been that Puff would eventually find consistency with his shot and be that six foot eight shot maker that's so valuable in the modern game well it hasn't ever happened I think the other thing was 
Penn State was hoping, okay, if he's in a spot where we're asking more of him, he's going to get more consistent minutes. Maybe he grows into that. And right. instead of, you know, we're just fighting for a role at Carolina, uh, that also has not happened. I mean, the three-point shooting is abysmal. That's really, really bad. And the thing is, Penn State doesn't have really any better options. So they got to continue to just ride it and hope that he eventually goes on a hot streak and, and find something there. And finally, Kudus Wahab, seven-foot senior, back the second time in the Big Ten, uh, he was at he was came from Georgetown. He's previously at Maryland. He's averaging nine point nine points a game and eight eight point eight rebounds a game, shooting sixty five percent from the floor and seventy one percent from the line. But despite being seven feet tall, he doesn't have a lot of shot blocks, only averaging a little over one block a game. Yeah, it's his second tour of duty in the Big Ten. You mentioned he had done a year. What a career! So he started two years at Georgetown. Then he transfers to Maryland. Then he goes back to Georgetown. <laughs> and then he leaves Georgetown when they made a coaching change and he comes to Penn State. Um, there were really high hopes if if people remember, and I don't know how well they do, when Maryland brought him in, he was coming off a really good sophomore season at Georgetown. And there were there were hopes that he was going to be a really, really big-time addition to Maryland. And he was okay, but only okay. And then last year at Georgetown, he was okay. He still, really, his sophomore season is the best year he's had of the five. But, you know, his production is decent here. Look, Penn State, without him, would have absolutely zero going on in the post. So he at least (laughs) gives them a representative kind of player it down low. You know, he can rebound. He's not a great shot blocker, but at seven feet, he at least gives them some kind of physical presence. He's scoring almost double digits, very knows his limitations well. So that's why his percentage from the field is so good. If he's taking a shot, it's because he's around the rim. You know, decent free throw shooter for big man. So not having a bad year. It's just, I think there's always been this feeling with him that, a breakthrough was just around the corner. It's never quite happened. All right. Well, who would you then say would be the brothers of just two gutters player that Michigan state needs to keep in the gutter? (laughs) I would probably, I would probably lean toward Clary just because he's their, he's their top scorer. He's been the guy who's been most dynamic for them offensively. So we'll go with him. And just as a reminder, you can check out the brothers to just two gutters for your gutter work, they are located both in the west side of the state and the metro Detroit area. You can get fantastic work from them. They can clean out your gutters. They can repair them. They can replace them. They can put leaf guards on them. And critical is they actually get on the ladder and they'll take care of all that stuff so you don't have to do that. They can do not only your residential but also your commercial buildings if that's necessary. They helped my wife's office. They took put up a gigantic section of gutter, did a great job when no one else was willing to do such a what they would call a small job. Uh, they came out and did that. They took care of our house. We had a tree growing in the gutter. So they can take care of all that stuff. And the greatest thing is just because it's January right now, it doesn't mean that they can't come out and do it. They will get it done any time of the year as long as it's not dangerous. And so they took care of our gutters in February. So if you want gutter work done or you're tired of those big icicles hanging on your that look like they're going to impale you, 
call the brothers to just your gutters, 10% off your, uh, your estimate. If you mention final four, when you contact them, you can find contact information below uh, in your podcast player or on the episode page at the website at the final fours on the schedule.com. All right. So moving on to the reserves, DeMarco Dunn, six, five transfer from North Carolina, averaging 7.2 points a game on 43, 39 and 65 shooting. Yeah. And another North Carolina addition, but in his case, and, and a, and like Johnson, a former top 100 recruit. Uh, but in his case, he's at least shot the ball well. So pretty mm-hmm. important for Penn State to have him um, coming off the bench and giving them that kind of perimeter production. He doesn't take a ton of threes. I think he's averaging uh, two and a half attempts per game, something like that. Uh, but at least he's been decently reliable. So he's pulling off, pulling out like one, one a game or something like that. Uh-huh. One for two, one for three sort of things. Uh, next would be Leo O'Boyle, 6'7", 225-pound transfer from Lafayette, averaging 3.1 points a game and 1.4 rebounds a game in about 14 minutes, shooting 32, 30, and 90. Yeah, the obviously the shooting from the floor is not there. Um, you know, when you're taking a guy from a program the level of Lafayette, unless they're a star, this is probably what you're going to get. But Penn State was in a tough position. Rhodes got that job, you know, I think it was April. And, um, yeah. you know, yeah, the portal was going, but when you have to rebuild an entire roster, you know, that's that. The, the, I don't know what the final numbers ended up being, but I'm thinking they probably took in about seven or eight guys at least in the portal. So they can't all be, they're not all going to be stars. And so he, oh, Boyle's basically playing a role. He's big enough that, you know, they can play him as a small ball four off the bench. Um, and that that's kind of what they, you know, they're getting a placeholder, basically. Next would be Raquandis Mitchell, 6'5", transfer from Kansas City. He's averaging 2.8 points a game in 10 minutes a game, shooting 29, 25, and 67. Yeah, the, disappointing because he had done some good things. For Kansas City, I think they expected, which made it actually all the more important that Clary has emerged yeah. the way he has, because I think they were counting on more from Mitchell than they've got. Um, the shooting's been a real struggle, obviously. Next up would be Nick Kern. He missed last game with a lower body injury. Uh, he's averaging 5.8 points a game and 4.3 rebounds a game in 22 minutes. He's six foot seven, transferred from VCU. He followed Ace Baldwin. And he's shooting 49% overall and 71% from the line and 0 for 8 from the three. Yeah, it would. It, it, he's played a big role. You know, 22 minutes a game, fair amount um, for a guy off the bench. And it would be a blow if he can't go in this one. He's, he's obviously a guy who scores primarily inside the arc, but he's also a pretty decent rebounder. And... It'll it'll be a negative for them if he can't go, and that just seems I wasn't able to find a lot. Um, he had been hurt in their previous game to the last one, which I think was against Ryder, uh, and had gotten banged up something in the lower body, and uh, then didn't play against Ryder. So we'll just have to see if he takes the floor or not. Yeah, I was just looking at the official injury report, and he's still listed as uh, questionable for okay. Thursday's game. Well, there you go. Finally is uh, Demetrius Lilly. He's the other um, holdover from the previous Penn State regime. He's six foot ten, two hundred 
50-pound sophomore, averaging 2.6 points a game and 2.4 rebounds a game in eight minutes, uh, 69% from the floor. But he's only played eight of their 13 games, so they don't always yeah, turn right. them. I think it's I list him because I think it's possible in this game with Michigan State size that they might feel like they need to get a turn or two out of another bigger body. Um, and you never know with foul trouble as well. But um, definitely knows his limitations because the shooting percentage is outstanding. Um, <laughs> but I think he's still a developmental guy. You know, if he was on Penn State's team last year, and if you remember what that was like, I mean, Penn State had they could use a six ten guy, <laughs> right? They had one guy with any size who played, and so if you, yeah, if you were at all capable, there was an opportunity, <laughs> and he didn't get it. Well, this year he's playing a little bit more, but I still think it's a developmental deal. Yeah. All right, well, before we get into the five keys of the game, just want to go over our new segment with the Squeegee Squad out of Grand Rapids. Uh, you know, actually, I just got back from the dentist, and it's nice having my teeth clean. But you know, the nice thing is having clean is having clean windows. And so if you want clean windows, especially in times like this in the winter, just like the Brothers Jiu-Jitsu Gutters, the Squeegee Squad will actually go out in this kind of weather and clean your windows. They'll clean your house. Whatever you need done, they actually can do on high-rise apartments as well and or office buildings and commercial buildings so whatever kind of window cleaning you need or building cleaning you need the squeegee squad can do it they offer uh 15 off if you mentioned rebound on your estimate they have free estimates that they'll give you uh, you can find the links below uh, you can also just go to squeegee squad.com slash grand rapids hyphen michigan or mi and uh you can get your uh you get your um estimate that way you can they will do a really good job on your house because they use the power washing but they don't blast it from the ground and they don't clean your windows from the ground they actually get right up next to it to make sure everything's nice and clean so that high quality is an important part of their business and you can uh, they are great supporters and if you're in the Grand Rapids area you can access a squeegee squad so last game we had a guess who would have who would clean the glass the best for Michigan State we both were wrong. It was actually Madi Sissoko. Uh, you picked Hall. I picked Akins. And so even though we gave ourselves a mulligan, it's still zero to zero here. So All right. I get to pick first this time. So I'm going to take Madi Sissoko because uh, <laughs> he's been uh, he's been uh, he's been so good. And, and especially in this game where I think there's going to be some potential on the offensive end. He's shown himself to be very capable on the offensive side. And so I think he could maybe have a really big game on the glass. And so I'm going to go with the easy one. Take Madi. I'm going to go with Malik Hall. Yeah, well, that's who you had last time, and you almost had. He was the number right, two rebound. Right, right. And game. I think, I think you know, again, a game like this, he might be able to get a few more range rebounds than Madi. And this is a team that does shoot mm-hmm. a lot of threes. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's the next best choice in in my opinion. I would have gone Madi first as well in this one. You get the, I, you get first pick next game. Because I think <laughs> what made me lean away from him in the last one is that. You know, going in, Avila is such a perimeter-oriented big man. I just thought Madi was going to be away from the basket a lot. And he still was, even with Avila not playing yeah. that much. But he just still managed to get to those rebounds. This one, this is not a team where he's going to be... He'll be pulled away some in pick-and-roll action, but he'll still probably find himself around the rim a lot more often in this game. So he's, he's a solid choice. 
Yeah, I think there has been a mindset change with him ever since yeah. we should say it had their turnaround. I mean, I, I think you know, maybe somewhat coincidental, but he definitely has refocused his, you know, putting two hands to the ball and just going after those things. And I think worrying less about the other aspects of the game. So uh, let's go on to the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing is a great place for you to get your collegiate and Michigan State apparel and also other stuff like stickers, uh, like for your computer or for your wall. Uh, you, you can go to Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. There you can get 20% off your order if you type in Final Four, that's just one word, in the coupon code at checkout. They have high quality, super popular stuff. Uh, they've got all kinds of vintage uh, vintage logos for Spartan gear. Uh, they've also got all the classic stuff. They're instrumental in the Spartan Strong uh, fundraising effort back in February. Uh, Gabe and his wife, Brittany, are great Spartans, and they do everything here in the state of Michigan and Portland. And so it's all homemade stuff here, screen printed, high quality stuff, and you will your family is going to love this stuff because... Uh, it's just super comfortable, wearable, and so you can't go wrong. So check out Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. All right, so the five keys of the game. The first key is the glass. <laughs> so as you, we mentioned earlier in the setup here, Penn State is not a good rebounding team. They're uh, just really bad, and so especially defensively, they're like one of the worst teams in the country. So right. an opportunity for Michigan State, who has shown this season, have a lot uh, more uh, ability to get some offensive rebounds, so maybe get some work done. Yeah, Michigan State really should control this game at both ends. I mean, there's no excuse not to. This is not a team with a lot of size. Their guards are not particularly good rebounders either. There's just no excuse for not controlling it. And controlling it means really shutting down second chances for Penn State. But at the other end, really creating some of those uh, second and third shots for yourself on offense when you do miss. Um, in a league like the Big Ten, you don't often see a team that profiles like this at both ends. So when you do come across it, you really need to exploit it. And the second key to the game, chaos. Yeah, and we we talked about it near the outset. You know, Penn State's MO is to turn the game into kind of an ugly affair, you know, where there are a lot of turnovers, a lot of herky-jerky play that you, the game doesn't find an easy rhythm. That's what they want to do because, quite frankly, they don't have the personnel to beat a team like Michigan State if the game is fairly smooth and, and they, Michigan State does find a rhythm, Penn State's in a lot of trouble. So the key for Michigan State, and it's, it's listed number two here, but it's almost certainly the most important thing, most important element going into this game, in my opinion, is MSU has to handle that pressure and not just survive it, but punish it. You don't want to be in scenarios where most possessions, you're getting the ball over after eight or nine seconds, and you're just kind of surviving it. And then you're then you're having to go into your half court offense, you know, with ten seconds almost already gone off the clock. You know that's not the recipe right, for right. success. The recipe for success is break the pressure and then get it to the rim or get open three looks and punish them for it. Make them pay for opting to play that way. That's the key. Obviously, it goes without saying. You also you can't afford 
to be kicking the ball around a lot and and make a lot of mistakes, <laughs> yeah, right. especially live ball turnovers, which would give Penn State chances to generate easy offense for themselves. You know, those are the things you really want to avoid. But but as I say, it's more than just avoiding that. It's act actively turning what Penn State is opting to do into a problem for them by virtue of attacking it. Right. Yeah. Uh, how long do you think that Rhodes will maintain his frenetic s- strategy? Do you, you think mean be two, you two mean years? Because his career? No, just it, just the uh, just the attacking style in the Big Ten. No, but you know, I mean, I mean, we saw uh, you're, you're, not ta- you're not talking about this game. You're talking about how many years he does it. I mean, yeah, yeah, okay. not this game. Yeah, like how many? Like it will be next season too, and then he'll abandon it, or do you think it's going to be? He'll stick with it. I mean, this is assuming it doesn't work as well as we, as you know, he hopes. I'm, yeah, which I think every probably every one of these yeah, history guys, says it won't. If you if you want to go back and you look at guys of recent vintage, so guys recently, and I'm being loose with my use of recent, but it incorporates most of the guys who came into the league doing this. Um, Brad Underwood did it. I think. I think by year three, it was entirely gone. Yeah. Patino never really quite gave it up, I feel like, until maybe the um, last year or so. No, he backed off it considerably. He would still do it occasionally, but he backed way off. His his early, you know, his first go around, it was pretty steady pressure, and it, he got yeah, he got ripped up. Um, feels like my memory is Pat Chambers played that way a lot early on at Penn State and backed off it real quick, and Fran McCaffrey did. Yeah, um, he does much less now. Yeah, for sure. You just—it's not to say that you never do it, but you just—you can't make a—you can't make a steady living doing it in a league like the Big Ten. Just the scouting, the prep, and the guard quality is just too good, in my opinion, to get away with it. Um, I think how long he sticks with it is probably a function of two things because. You do have to remember at a place like Penn State, and the very fact that Mike Rhodes has the job is evidence of this the stakes are lower you know they 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 proved that because if the stakes were really high if they were really serious and this is not a knock on mike Rhodes, it's just a fact if they were serious they would have done what it takes to retain micah shrewsbury who had turned them right in year two had made them an ncaa tournament team that won a game when they got there and in the round of 32, really pushed, I believe it was Texas, really pushed yep. them and could have won that game. Uh, and, then, and then he would have been in the Sweet 16. That That's rarefied air for Penn State. And they didn't care enough <laughs> to keep him. So the message that that sends has a number of implications. One of them is that, well, if you're coaching at Penn State, you get a long leash because they don't really care that much. Pat Chambers' yeah. career would back that up. Now, I, I liked Pat Chambers as a coach. I thought he did some good things there. But the fact of the matter is he lost his job ultimately not because he went whatever it was, seven years without a tournament bid. It wasn't because of that. It was because of some uh, player treatment issues. Yeah. That's why he lost right. his job. So that's that kind of tells you what has to happen. So I say all of that to try to answer your question. Rhodes could go longer than I think would be wise with this because, you know, the leash is long. It doesn't, it's not like, you know, Brad Underwood at Illinois 
he knew by like year two, he needed to show real progress and year three, he needed to be winning in that job, you know? So he didn't have that kind of time. Mike Rhodes does. So maybe Mike Rhodes, you know, maybe he continues it longer than he should. The other thing is going to come down to personnel, what kind of rosters he can put together. Part, part of what led Brad Underwood to change is he kind of lucked his way into Kofi Coburn. And I think that helped him determine with some finality, okay, I'm really done with this nonsense. Yeah, no choice. Yeah, Because you can't play that way with a guy like Coburn. It's just not going to work. You know, you're, or you're, if you try, you're not going to be getting anything close to the best out of it. And so they, he stopped, you know? Um, so I think personnel will also be a factor, but personnel, well, they, I, I don't know. I mean, I, the smart move would be stop with it next year, but I don't know that he'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it, and it probably smartest move would be stop percent. with it tomorrow, but I don't know that he'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, maybe with the personnel and the, with, that, that it's still his best chance to win right now just because he's what he's got. I don't know. But his bench is so so shallow, it's hard to imagine you want to try and run the guy as your starters. That, that's tired. the other thing, too. Where are they, you know, where is this team going to be in the back end of February? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the third key to the game is offensive balance. Um, so, you know, Mission State last game got a lot of balance. They were a lot of, uh, a lot of, stuff done against Indiana State inside at 46 points in the paint, a lot of free throw opportunities. But this game is going to look different, even though both teams have sort of a fast pace. It's a different style of play. I I would think that there will be a lot of opportunities as a result of being in transition a lot Mm -hmm. um, to keep the scoring balanced the way I'm talking about here. But when they are in the half court, you want to see the same things we've been seeing for the last few weeks, which is a a focus and an effort on the guards part, primarily at getting into the paint. And again, more than anybody else, that's about AJ Hogart. Yeah. Uh, Fourth key to the game is contested three. So we mentioned, you know, Penn state takes a lot. They don't hit a lot of them, but as we've mentioned many times before, the, the recipe for an upset in this sort of situation at, at home is one of the other teams gets hot shooting the threes. Yep, and so absolutely that's you can't let happen. They're, they're not a good three point shooting team, but they do take a lot of them. And so what that means is it's incumbent upon Michigan state to really do a solid job, locating shooters and regularly contesting shots, make sure the shots they're taking are not good quality looks. And the final key to the game is the start. I mean, should say it's been better in the starts the last few games since Nebraska. And even, I guess, Nebraska was a good start. It just, they kind of fizzled out yeah. there at some point. Um, starting Big Ten play, I mean, you got to, there's, <laughs> you're running out of opportunities, especially starting 0-2 in the hole to begin the uh, the back half of the Big Ten season. Well, I mean, this is, look, this is, this is a, this is a must kind of game. You know, this is, I was thinking about it as we were, getting ready to start doing this preview, you know, you really, if you're Michigan State, and this is not to dismiss or denigrate Penn State at all, but if you're Michigan State, you really couldn't ask for a better situation to get started back into Big Ten play. You know, imagine if this game was at West Lafayette. Okay, you're 0-2 in the league. You've been playing a lot better, but now you got to go. 
even if it was, you know, in Champaign or in Bloomington, mm-hmm. you know, but you're home against the team that's picked to finish last and really hasn't done that much to suggest that that was wrong. Um, that's almost a perfect scenario. So in just to get that first win out of the way, and then we go from there and try yeah, to rebuild right. this thing, you know, your position in the conference. So I think what that means is for MSU, you do not want, the last thing you want to do is to allow Penn State to build some early confidence and start to believe that they can hang around and win this thing. That doesn't mean yeah. you're going to, it's a Big Ten caliber opponent, you know, so you're probably not going to win the game in the first half. But you don't want them going into halftime thinking, man, we are in this. We have a great shot to pull this off. You want to feel, you want them to feel as if they're going uphill pretty much from the opening tip. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a team that beat Ohio State at home. It was yeah. at home, and they played Maryland in overtime. You know, right. and lost. They've done but, enough. So this is a team that's capable. Yeah, they right. they certainly believe they can win. I'm sure. Yeah, this is not this is not a you know this isn't um, Alcorn State. You know, <laughs> right? This is McNeese this is a State. Big Ten team. This is you know I would say in terms of their quality, you know, I mean Butler beat them by ten. I would say they're. They're in that, but I don't think they're as good as Indiana State. Um, but they're not. They're not horrible. They would. They would sit in the yeah, middle right. of the pack, probably somewhere, of teams that MSU has faced so far. So that's dangerous enough that you don't want to give a team like that reason to start believing. You know, look back to the Butler game. You know, MSU didn't give Butler a sense that they were really in it early on and started allow them to start feeling confident and they won pretty easily you want the same thing here yeah all right uh any any further thoughts about the game all right well again i want to thank you everyone for choosing to listen to our show we really appreciate it we enjoy putting this show together and uh you know our success is all due to your listenership and sharing it with your friends make sure you subscribe if you've not yet again it's free you can check out more stuff at thefinalfoursontheschedule.com. You can get on the email list for free where you get notified when new episodes come out. But check out our sponsors at uh, Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com, Brothers Suggest You Gutters at brothersgutters.com, and the Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids at squeegeesquad.com. So until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. <laughs>